Welcome back to the Electronic Intifada podcast. This is our live stream for Friday, October 13th. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman, Associate Editor with the Electronic Intifada. I'm here with my co-host Asa Wynn-Stanley and our Executive Director Ali Abunima. Uh, we're going to hear from Ali uh, first to kind of lay out the current situation and some breaking news. Um, we're also going to be joined by uh, our friend Rifat Alarir uh, in Gaza, as well as Khalil Abu Shamala, um, and um, possibly some other guests uh, as we can reach them. We uh, are also going to hear some analysis on the current uh, situation by our good friend John Elmer. So please stay with us. This is going to be yet another um, very essential, informative um live stream with information that you probably haven't been hearing from the corporate mainstream media at all. Uh, with that, Ali, uh, please take it away. Thanks, Nora. I just want to start by thanking all our readers and viewers of the Electronic Intifada, old and new, for your support, for all the messages you've sent us in recent days. I can't tell you how much uh, they've meant to us and really keep us uh, strong. So, we haven't had a chance to reply to everyone indiv individually, but I just want you to know we're receiving them and they mean a great deal to us. They really lift our spirits. As you may have heard, uh, since last night, Israel ordered 1.1 million people in Gaza to evacuate the northern half of Gaza, including Gaza City, within 24 hours. The World Health Organization has called this a death sentence for many people particularly the sick, the injured, the elderly, and the United Nations has called it impossible, particularly in the catastrophic situation in Gaza. Human Rights Watch said today, ordering a million people in Gaza to evacuate when there's no safe place to go is not an effective warning. The roads are rubble, fuel is scarce, the main hospital is in the evacuation zone, this order does not alter Israel's obligations in military operations to never target civilians and take all the measures it can to minimize harm to them. World leaders should speak up now before it is too late. Human Rights Watch has also called on the uh, international criminal court prosecutor who has been totally absent and derelict when it comes to Palestine to warn all parties of the consequences of their actions. There is absolutely no safe place in Gaza. No part of Gaza has been spared. There is bombing and massacres all over the territory, all the way south to the Rafah border crossing with Egypt. More than 1,500 people have been killed so far. 500 children have been killed by Israeli bombing in a week. There are horrifying scenes of people digging their loved ones out of the rubble with their bare hands, the hospitals cannot cope, and the streets outside Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza City are lined with bodies because the morgues are full. The situation in the occupied West Bank is also very dire. Since Saturday, Israeli occupation forces and settlers have killed almost 40 Palestinians, what would normally be a shocking number, but it has been overshadowed by the scale of Israel's extermination campaign in Gaza. Settlers in the West Bank are going on unprecedented rampages and killing sprees, all with the full support of the Israeli army and government. 
While Palestinians in Gaza have no safe place to go, there are real fears that Israel's order to evacuate is the start of a new Nakba, a mass ethnic cleansing or genocide by Israel to finish the job it started in 1948. Today, Badil, the Palestinian Resource Center for Residency and Refugee Rights in Bethlehem, wrote the following to UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. While the United Nations and many countries are calling for the opening of humanitarian relief passages for civilians in the Gaza Strip, there are also calls from the United States and other countries that align with the Israeli colonial apartheid regime to open passageways to transfer Palestinian residents of the Gaza Strip to Egypt. This mixing between the responsibilities of the international community to secure urgent humanitarian relief passages and the opening of passageways for civilians is an intentional confusion that conceals a plan to displace Palestinians from the Gaza Strip. The United Nations and all countries and third parties should be aware that any attempt to displace Palestinians under the pretext of ensuring their safety constitutes a new Nakba in which states supporting Israel are complicit. One very slight bright spot today is that Norway became the first Western country to condemn Israel's siege on Gaza, its cutting off of food, water, electricity, fuel, medicines, and other life essentials to 2.3 million people who are under constant barbaric carpet bombing. But there is no doubt that Israel's genocidal attack on the Palestinian people could not be happening without international complicity and support, particularly that of the United States and the European Union. I wrote yesterday for the Electronic Intifada about the shocking position of the German government in adamantly refusing to condemn Israel for cutting off even food and water to everyone in Gaza. That includes more than a million children even while Israeli officials label them human animals and human beasts. Chancellor Olaf Scholz has even offered Israel military aid to help Tel Aviv perpetrate its ongoing slaughter of civilians, which makes an absolute mockery of the constant cry of never again. Yesterday, we saw U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken traveling to Israel to provide more of that support and today, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin is there as well. Already, U.S. Globemaster aircraft are arriving with more bombs and munitions for Israel that are destined to be dropped on Palestinian homes, schools, and hospitals in Gaza. Today on Al Jazeera, I saw the European Union spokesperson, Peter Stano, repeating Israeli atrocity propaganda about what happened when Hamas fighters crossed into Israel on Saturday. Many of these stories are being used to incite hatred and bloodlust against the Palestinian people as a whole, even though they are completely unverified and many of them have turned out to be totally false. Perhaps the most notorious example is the claim that 40 babies were beheaded by Hamas in the settlement of Kfar Aza. This fake story was splashed all over the front pages and spread by the Israeli government. President Joe Biden even claimed he had seen photos proving it, 
before the White House had to retract that and admit that there had been no such photos presented to the president. But the purpose of all this propaganda is the same as it has always been. We've seen it in South Africa, in Vietnam, in the Jim Crow South of the United States, where British, American, and other colonial occupiers, colonizers, and oppressors have always demonized their victims in order to make oppressing and exterminating them palatable and even desirable to the population as a whole. I choose my words carefully, but I will say that the blood libels Israel and its accomplices are spreading against the Palestinian people are no different in intent and effect than the blood libels Hitler spread against Jews. And those who spread such sensa sensational, unverified stories of mass rapes and beheaded babies have blood on their hands. Saleh Aruri, a senior Hamas leader, addressed many of these uh, claims in an important interview on Al Jazeera yesterday. He did not deny that Israeli civilians have been killed, but he explained that Hamas fighters have been under strict orders not to harm civilians. However, there was heavy fighting in the uh, settlements which Israel deliberately built right up close to the Israeli border. And Israeli civilians may ha well have been killed in some cases by their own forces. We have also seen numerous examples of videos of Hamas fighters protecting civilians, or in at least one case, returning an Israeli woman and her children safely home. By the way, that occurred on the first day of the Hamas assault, and Israel knew about it but never revealed it to the Israeli public. Arori explained that many such civilians were brought into Gaza, not by Hamas fighters, but by Palestinian civilians from Gaza who poured through the border fence when the Israeli defenses collapsed much more quickly than expected. There was also the interview with an Israeli woman who said Hamas fighters spent several hours in her house and didn't lay a finger on her or her children. One fighter even asked her permission before taking a banana from the kitchen counter. The point I am making here is we do not know everything that happened. And we have learned enough times that most of what Israel puts out through its sophisticated propaganda machinery is lies that our so-called media are happy to repeat without any question. Right now, these lies are being used to justify genocide. I truly hope we will find out the whole truth, but that would take a, a genuine, independent, international investigation of the kind Israel has always opposed and done everything in its power to demonize and prevent. Finally, I want to end my uh, remarks on a small note of hope, which is the outpouring of international support and solidarity with the Palestinian people that we're seeing. Today in particular, there have been massive rallies across the world, particularly huge marches in the Arab world, including in Iraq, Yemen, and further afield in Bangladesh and many other countries. In Jordan, there have been huge rallies, and today thousands of people headed towards the border with Palestine, only to be met with tear gas fired at them by the Jordanian security uh, forces. 
there have been similar scenes of repression in so-called democracies like France, where Emmanuel Macron's riot police have charged, tear-gassed, and arrested mar marchers, uh, arrested marchers who have been out defying a French government ban on showing solidarity with Palestinians. Germany, too, has banned rallies in support of Palestine, and Britain is considering whether it should be a criminal offense even to display a Palestinian flag in public. Here in the United States, I've heard many personal stories of students and ed educators on campuses facing intimidation, harassment, and even death threats simply for speaking out in support of Palestinians. But I have no doubt this repression will not work. People cannot and will not be silent in the face of such horror. Thanks, Nora. Thank you, Ali Abunima. He's our executive director here at the Electronic Intifada. Um, thank you for compiling that and for um, saying what needs to be said, uh, as always. We want to bring on our friend Khalil Abu Shimala, uh, live from the Gaza Strip. Khalil, how are you? How is your family? What can you tell us about um, the last 24 hours? <laughs> Thank you, Tamara. Uh, just uh, today is the uh, the sixth day of the the war, and uh, nobody can nobody can expect even in the in his worst dream that this moment will will come. We struggled during the the last many years, long years, tenth of years. To, to stay in, in, in Gaza over our land. But today, the moment when I when I enforced to to leave my home with my kids, it was it was yani, no words can describe what what is the the emotional uh, I live, and and I know that this is not me, but all of the the Palestinians, the maybe ten thousands of of Palestinians from Gaza, north north of Gaza, they moved to uh, to south of Gaza. Uh, it is after after the order of the Israel occupation forces when they ask us to move and. Uh, because they they say that it, it is more safety to you uh, rather than to stay in in homes we know what is the coming we know but many many people many people have fear fears that they may witness uh, the second nakba if if they enforce to continue moving or pushing them to to sinai uh and we know why they want uh, people to to move because because and you will see this i i'm not sure if you can you will see it or not because because i i just hear that uh, the internet will cut uh, uh, any time uh, in in the coming uh, hours and they 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 ask even all of the, the people including the, the the media 
Imagine if there is no media, local media, because we don't know, we don't have international media or press in, in Gaza for very unfortunately, as if they know what will, will happen. They prevented any of the international uh, national press to uh, to to enter Gaza. Uh, what what is what is expecting is mass massacres against the civilians. The civilians, I don't know how how to describe because 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 we we don't we cannot distinguish between civil who is the civilian and who is the militant. The goals, as I told you last uh, last night is the most of them are are civilians how we can distinguish between the the militant of hamas and and the people uh, they, they will destroy they will, will destroy gaza because they claim that gaza is full of tunnels which used by by hamas this is not the story. This, the the main story for uh, to the Palestinians that the victimizers is supported by the internationals against the victims, and the it is it is unbelievable, unbelievable scene of silence by everybody. I mean the the governments, the European, who talk about the human rights, international law, principles, morality. Where is the morality? I don't know. Believe me, I I have I have never been a coward. But I feel that I'm a coward. But why I'm I'm a coward? Because. Because I have kids, and I cannot even look at their eyes. I I, I make the, 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 this this uh, live from my cousin home. I left my my kids at uh, my brother home. Originally, I'm from Khan Yunis. I came back to my to my to my to the family home. But imagine how, how many of thousands can have in south of Gaza, the place they, 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 they are homeless now. Most of them, most of them are homeless, without any place they can even, even go to the bath. And 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 we are in a camp. And you know, the camps, the refugees camps, they want to to remind us and to return back to the Nakba and to emphasize that the Nakba will continue. I cannot talk about political. I cannot an analyze what will happen. I I have I have no no ability to to say what will happen and and what type of, of policy we have now and we will have. 
يعني I, I consider myself as as one who can who can read yeah, the, the future, but I cannot read two or three hours later. It's it's the time the, the time of the fact. But what is the fact? If I, I tell you that, Wallahi, 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 if I spend today just to re receive a, a court order to spend 10 years in a prison, it will be better and better than the, the moment I am forced to, to, to leave my home. I left everything, and imagine, yani, I'm one of thousands. Or let's say, I cannot, I cannot even tell you how how many people came to to the south. Yes, there are there are people who stay now and this night, and they refuse to to go. They refuse not because they want to die but they refuse because they don't know where to go and who who will host them many questions even the UNRWA, my friends they said to everybody publicly that we are not responsible for the your relief in in gaza we advise you, and I, I read the, the message which sent to employees, the honor one, please. They said to them, we advise you to move to the south for your safety. And from this moment, we are not responsible for your safety. Behave by yourself. So the, 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 they, these are the, the honor one stuff what about the the others the the red cross also said that we it's not our mission or business to to ask people or to advise people everybody just take off yeah yeah every everybody no international institutions, no international NGOs. The, can you imagine the director the, the, of the UNRWA operation is out of Gaza in this, in this critical time? Thomas White, the director of the UNRWA operation, left Gaza last Thursday and he transferred his responsibility to a person her name is Jennifer and she I don't know I don't want to to accuse anybody not everything that that we know can be told where is Thomas White now he's in Greek hmm. in Greece Yes. Just a, a, yes. a total abandonment 
of the Palestinian people. Um, Khalil, we want to uh, bring on our good friend Rifat Al-Arir. Also in Gaza, uh, we spoke to him on Monday. Um, Rifat, can you tell us how you are, how uh, how your family is, and, um, and what it looks like outside your window right now? Tamara, Tamara, well, Tamara, I, I cannot, I cannot tell you, Yani, I cannot give you the the clear, the clear case of my kids. Ah. Yani, if you, when I say that I cannot look at, at my kids' eyes, it is, it is, it is unbelievable. I have yeah. never, never thought in the, my worst dream to to stay in this position. Last night, uh, Tamara and, uh, and my friends, Noor, yeah. Nisma and Muhammad were laughing. And suddenly I said to them, stop, please. Noor asked me why. I said that uh, uh, um, I don't feel, feel good tonight. I was feeling that something will happen. Yeah. And, and I spent from one o'clock in the morning until eight o'clock following up the news and asking and receiving and negotiate and consult. Will we, shall we go, shall we stay? If we stay, what will happen? And if we, if we go, what is the next? Will, can we be able to return back to our homes, to Gaza, or we may come to a step for, or, or, or a station for the next Southern station? You know what? Yeah. Khalil, uh, you are a, veteran human rights activist and advocate and, and fighter for Palestinian liberation. Um, can uh, We want to bring in our, our good friend Rifat, who is a writer and an academic. Uh, Rifat, can you... Um, alaikum. Yeah, how are you? Tell us how you are. Thank you, Nora. Uh, Ali, Asa, and uh, Tamara for having me. Uh, it's the same story, the same story as uh, uh, as Khalil. Uh, we speak about uh, the unknown, and again, we speak about uh, we think about the worst case scenarios, and Israel creates even more horrible scenarios. And it is escalating, as you can see, the number of people killed, the number of children killed, the number of, you know, how Israel, the number of bombs Israel throws, the crazy procedures and steps Israel takes against Palestinians in Gaza. And we, we always ask this question, what's next? And we don't, we can't predict, can never predict. This is where you fail, whether you are a political analyst, a human rights activist, a veteran writer, you can't predict and you can't plan. Uh, and the, the, the topic of the hour is evacuating more than one million people from Gaza and North Gaza. 
that's it's impossible it's impossible to do for 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 many reasons because israel still bombs people rushing out of this uh, designated area there are two reports of uh, two targets people killed injured the roads are dangerous the infrastructure is destroyed so people are going to get killed anyway and this is what many people realize there are hundreds of thousands now in the gaza city and there are people who protested in uh, the shadow beach refugee camp sheikh radwan i guess they went they talked to the streets declaring that we're not leaving how many times do we have to leave how many people does israel need to kill in order to uh, be satisfied how much blood how many palestinian kids but we're not also leaving because because we don't want another nakba because next time israel is going to push us into khanyunis and then into rafah and then into the sea and and that's why some people decide to, to stay some people decide to go with relatives and many people would be could be staying out in the street in this dangerous uh, situation and then comes the the act of why uh, the, the every time israel does this throws pamphlets you know from the war planes and as dangerous as the bombs and then uh, till people evacuate a million people half a million people evacuate and then people start saying i can't evacuate or i don't want to evacuate and then it's like look we are humane we are good we are cute we're telling them to leave and you can see this all over twitter for example people saying israel told you israel told you and even american politicians and journalists were saying but but weren't you warned so this is a propaganda this is a uh, publicity stunt by 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 israel and at the same time it's dehumanizing because israel is going to say that oh hamas is keeping them hamas pre is preventing them hamas is not preventing anybody hundreds of thousands left and uh it's understandable it's justified why they left why would they leave and hundreds of, of thousands did not leave and it's also understandable and justified and those people on their own they don't palestinians don't have to wait for people to tell them what to do and what not to do the most highly educated people in the area but among the top educated people university degrees but again it's always iran it's always hamas it's always this it's always that it's it, it it never stops even when we ask for our freedom and human rights it's usually not the palestinians demanding this somebody else is insinuating them is pushing them for a global agenda uh, an iranian plan to control uh, to uh, embarrass israel and this comes this horror unprecedented horror no no book no words no articles will be able to des describe what we go through as palestinians it comes with a very systematic non-stop systematic targeting of homes of families of people in their homes 90 percent of people killed 1800 palestinians killed were killed in their own homes and those people usually were hosting relatives and friends and neighbors because this is what Israel said, move. So people move, where would you move? The schools are already uh, full, full capacity and also targeted. The UN 
couple of days ago said 16 of its uh, of people taking shelter were injured two of them were crit in critical conditions so the schools are not safe they're targeted the the jabalia massacre most of the people killed in the in the, in the jabalia massacre were people evacuating their homes from beit hanun beit lahia and it was at a, at a, a local market in the most densely crowded area in the world and the number of of people killed here is also reflected in the number of children. We speak, uh, somebody updated a couple of hours ago, and every time you refresh, uh, uh, 20 people are at 20 children, two families, three families. We speak about more than 50 families exterminated. And, be, and I'm also being very ca careful about the number. I think it's 100. Because when the Shihab family, it's the whole extended family, but there are five, six families. We speak about 583 Palestinian children, seven days. In 2014, Israel massacred uh, uh, the same number or fewer in 51 days, now in seven days. And I did the math here. We speak about uh, four kids killed every hour for, se every hour for seven straight days. Four kids every hour for seven straight. This is extermination. This is annihilation. This is genocide. Yes. One Canadian TV said, but isn't that a strong term? I said, this is what the Israelis are saying. They're saying we are wiping Gaza out. He said, but they're targeting Hamas. He said, if you're targeting Hamas, you don't say we're going to turn Gaza into a city of tents. We're going, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of collateral damage. So this barbarity supported by America, supported by Germany, by, by, by Britain, by France, and by Italy and other Western countries, sending money, sending billions, and sending against a very small, very tiny space, sending warships against Gaza. This is what's going on now. Thank you, Rifat. And I know that our, our listeners and viewers around the world um we've been getting so many messages uh asking um about you about khalil about our our reporters on in gaza um just you know uh, people with with broken hearts um and and rage um that that this is happening and that it is being co-signed and underlined and funded and egged on by the so-called international community, and especially the West. Uh, Khalil, you've been a human rights activist for many, many years. Um, what, what the, the scale of atrocities right now, um, how can you even begin to measure it? The problem that we spent long years to convince the, the the international institutions, including and mainly the, the the United Nations institutions, the Human Rights Council, the many of of, of reports, which is well documented against the Israeli crimes, but nobody nobody here even even. Even the 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 ICJ, they they the International 
criminal court. They don't want to listen to us. Even they refuse to, to meet with the, the representatives of the uh, human rights organizations, like what happened last last year with Raji Assam from Mizan and PCHR, Palestinian Center for Human Rights. They, they are captured and controlled by the American administration. They are employees just to do what Israel and, and, and American administration asked them to do. And what, what they are waiting for, opening the files, the Palestinian files, and what they want us to to include in our claims and files to show them that we are subjected to the to the worst of the terrorism people in in, in all over the world. When we talk about it, Human rights violations. How we can define occupation? How we can find define the the settlements? How we can how we can believe or think of thousands of prisoners who spend most of their life in, inside the jails, the Israel jails? What what they ask us to do? It is not the international law. We know this. Our problem is not with the, the law. Our problem is not with the, the, the conventions. Our problem is not with the human rights principles. Our problem is with how they politicize the international law to support the victimizers, the occupation against the Palestinians who are struggling and asking to for, for their rights just just they recognize that there is occupation and people who live under occupation for many years what we we did oslo accord and they throw it in the basket they killed yasser arafat their friends, their friends, according 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 to them, they killed even Rabin because he he was he was yani, looking for recognizing yeah yani, some of the, the the Palestinian rights, and now now we are in a historical moment. They want to change, and I believe that they will succeed, by the way. They will succeed to change the Middle East. And as I, I mentioned that, I don't like to, 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 to talk about, in this moment especially, to talk about political issues or to analyze. And, and not, it is, I cannot say everything that I believe in or or see, but wait, wait and see. You will see new look.
yeah. I I don't and hopefully hopefully I I I will be true. It is not Sinai. One of the possibilities, one of the concerns of of most of Gazans. But the situation which will come is a new look people with with maybe good 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 level of life but with no rights to to continue as before sorry sorry because because of of the electricity because of um i'm out of my brother home yeah. but once again once again yeah we should not we should not leave the home yeah we are in, in a situation that yes we cannot do anything now because 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 uh yeah just just while coming to my cousin home i hear that that they may cut the internet. Uh, I don't know if Rifat yeah. also heard about it or, or not. No electricity, no life, no, 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 no goods, no food even in uh, in the markets. And Israel continue to prevent the the services from from uh, through Rafah border. Look, look how they are arrogant and they. They deal as if they are the only. They live using Holocaust for 70 years. And we are innocent. We have we have no relation with the Holocaust. Now they will use what happened last Saturday to for to this to describe and they all they, they already describe it as a second Holocaust. Yeah. This is this is this is what what we have now, and and hopefully I I believe on you to continue to continue working whether whether we can meet again or talk together again or or any to continue having or and keeping our message and the government message the victims the the infants the children the women the people who who have no ability to to continue. Khalil, we uh, take very seriously that uh, duty, and I know that you, you sent a message that you should leave because of the yeah. situation there, so we don't want to keep you longer than you can stay safely. But uh, we hope to meet again soon, as Rifat said. And we will continue this duty as long as we can and with all our energy. And that's what we can do. And um, all our work is motivated by the hope that we will prevail over this. So I just want to say to you and your family that uh, even when we can't see you or talk to you, we're thinking of you and praying for your safety and for the safety of all the people in Gaza. Thank you, Khalil. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you. And Rifat, we know that your uh, battery and internet is uh, also running low, so so we want to let you go as well. Um, but if you, I mean, I, I, I'm just struck by, you know, this, the, the media blackout here in the West about what it actually looks like and feels like for Palestinians right now um, who are trying to move from place to place to place to find any semblance of safety for them and their family. Um, can you describe to us what it looks like when Israel carpet bombs the Gaza Strip, which is only about 24, 25 miles long and maybe five miles wide at its widest? Can you talk about that? Uh, for us who, uh, who following the news, this is uh, more than complicity. The other night I was with uh, Chris Cuomo. He is in uh, occupied Palestine. And I was expected to speak about around three, but then it took like 25 minutes of, or 20 minutes of Israelis, poor Israelis. Many of them admitting, yeah, I am in the army. Yeah, I was in the army. Yeah, I joined the army. And I was bombarded by all these, you know, uh, humane stories of, the occupiers, the settlers, stealing my grandmother's land. And and then, unexpectedly, I've, I've done scores of uh, dozens of uh, talks, interviews, and the word, each one of them starts with, how is it going? But the first question was about Hamas. I'm not allowing people to. And I was like, where do you get this from? Hamas would like to for Palestinians with American passports to leave because Israel is not allowing them to leave. It's not allowing anybody to leave. And then he keeps going on and the framing. And even when he introduced me, he said, okay, wait a minute. You might be this, uh, surprised, but he was too scared, really. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I told him at the end of the interview that Chris, your framing is riddled with inaccuracies, with fake news. And if you think this is what's going on, if you start the story from B, you blame the Warsaw Ghetto rebels. You blame the Native Americans. You blame the, 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 the slaves that rebelled against the slave owners. And you blame the Palestinians. If you believe in this, then you're not paying attention. And to me as a Palestinian, and I, when people always ask me, so what's going on? I tell them that this time is different. Every time, the, uh, and somebody put it accurately on Twitter, uh, the, the political and media class, yeah, they are all in one club together. They care for each other. They, 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 they benefit from each other. It's mutual. So this class is now hell-bent on demonizing and dehumanizing the Palestinians because they want to justify the genocide that is happening right now. So when people ask me, I say it's different this time. It's not only... Uh, it's very systematic. It's like everybody is pledging allegiance to Israel. Everybody. Especially coming to a, a presidential election with many uh, horrible hopefuls uh, calling for uh, Netanyahu to finish us out. Finish them, Netanyahu, Nikki Haley says. And I think it was Lindsey Graham that said, Palace, these are savages. Rifat, I think... Go sorry. On. I, I just wanted to say, I think one of the hardest things to come to grips with is that the people who 
always scream the loudest about the Holocaust and say never again, never again, and we have to learn the lessons of history, particularly American and European leaders, are the ones who are most actively supporting this Holocaust in Gaza. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a genocide in Gaza. They're sending airplanes full of bombs to drop on Palestinian babies. And uh, this is the thing that has, has for me, broken, broken any sense, I, any belief I have in all the supposed principles we were taught to uh, revere human rights, international law, democracy. The people who come to lecture us about human rights and democracy and international law are the ones who are doing this to you, to your family, to 2.3 million people in Gaza. They're the ones who are doing this, the ones who build museums to the Holocaust and say, we need to take Palestinians and Arabs to these Holocaust museums to uh, educate these savages and barbarians, jungle people, as Joseph Burrell, the uh, EU foreign policy chief, called them. They're the ones, the White House spokesperson Karine Jean-Pierre said that calls for a ceasefire for Gaza are repugnant. What kind of world do we live in where calling for a ceasefire is repugnant? These people worship war. They worship death. I'm 51 years old and I wake up every day as angry and as enraged and as outraged. As I, as I have been my whole life at what they're doing to us. But you know, Rifat, they want us to be nice victims. Yeah. They want us to be polite. They, they, they don't like it when we're angry. I get messages saying, oh, you know, you should present yourselves better. You won't win support uh, if, if you're angry. What support did we win for all these years? All these years of advocacy, of meetings, of lectures, of speeches, of meeting with politicians, not one European politician objected to cutting food and water and electricity from children. Not one. I'm saying not one leader. Yes, there were a few politicians, a few members of parliament here or there, but not one leader, not one Arab country. Not one, let's let aside the Europeans, not one Arab country of those regimes run by traitors withdrew their ambassadors from Israel or closed their embassies with Israel. What is this? What is this hell we're living in? People come to us for analysis. I don't know how to analyze this. I don't know what to say to people. But we, we are, our hearts in pain, our hearts are broken when we see this world that allows the scenery that we're seeing in Gaza today. Massacre after massacre after massacre of whole families, of 583 children as of this morning. By the time we finish this live stream, the number will have gone up. And people digging in rubble in their bare hands. And this is a world that lectures us about human rights and democracy. I don't know what to say to you, Rifat. I don't know, as, as you have said, as Khalil said, he doesn't know how to face his children. I don't know how to face you 
and to face people in Gaza. And I don't know how to say to you that I'm sorry we failed. I think, thank you, Ale. I, I think we didn't fail. We did not. And that's when it, when, when it comes to all comes to end. No, we didn't. We didn't submit to their barbarity. We didn't submit to their brutality. And even when Gaza, this attack came when Gaza was in its weakest time possible. Look at what they did the, to the most invincible army in the area, the fourth strongest army in the world. The humiliation, the humiliation. But it's not only about that. This is not where we get our pride. We get our pride from staying principled at a time when everybody is not. I saw a friend, uh, you know, trashing somebody saying, like he was posting some anti-Semitic anti uh, stuff on, uh, on Twitter, replying, you know, with anti-Semitic things. And he was like, don't do this. We're not, we're not them. And I was, I was very proud. It, it is at this time that people can be, their metal can be tested, who they are, their character. Those people failed miserably, we didn't. They failed because when it came to the Ukrainians, blonde hair, blue eyes, everybody was sending money. Everybody was posting, even the Israelis were posting pictures, how to make uh, 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 cocktail molotovs. How little children are carrying guns and fighting the Russian barbarians. Politicians sending money, billions of dollars, competing to send billions of dollars to Ukraine. But when it came to people with darker skin, they failed and they failed miserably. And I don't want to say I don't know how they sleep because they don't have a conscience. There is this anti-Arab, anti-Palestinian, anti-Muslim sentiment that is deeply rooted and normalized in, in the media, in, uh, in, in among politicians, it's 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 always been there, but it has just been exposed. And I think there has to be this day, this week has to be a time of you know reconsideration. Muslims, Arabs, pro-Palestinians, free people around the world. There has to be something that comes out of this, something stronger than before more powerful to learn the lesson that those people are in like they, they are unreliable they cannot because some of those people, even bernie sanders and i don't want to name names because but they were horrible i don't want name to name the names to now name. is the time the people exactly people in the in the congress and everybody saw this israel was heading towards a genocide and you post 10 tweets explaining why what happened from the Palestinians is wrong, for God's sakes. So, I, Ali, I think we you didn't fail. We didn't fail as Palestinians. We stayed principled, believing in we don't want war. We don't want war. We, we want it to end. We want it to, uh, because only poor, innocent people get killed. And the politicians benefit. They get more money. And the companies, the arms, there was somebody posting uh, the uh, stocks of for four uh, uh, companies, forgot the names, uh, skyrocketing. 
and they know this this is beneficial for them and for israel in israel for israel this is again it's a cash gaza is a cash cow in 2014 uh, uh, according to one israeli uh, economist uh, more than 70 percent of uh, the money that came to gaza reconstruction ended up in israeli coffers and this is but it's it's not about the money now this is about displacing pushing palestinians to sinai to the sea or killing as many of them as possible or making them killing all the intellectuals all the leaders whoever they are and then palestinians uh, israelis and can live in peace for 10 20 years they can okay you can live in because there were times when israel lived in relative peace with the with with the subjects the palestinians but what happens in two decades or three decades Rafat, uh, we're supposed to be the ones sending you love and support in Gaza, and uh, you you uh, are, are uh, reassuring us and raising our spirits. And uh, we have tough moments, and uh, we all do. I'm sure we all have, and. Uh, our belief in this cause is unshakable. Uh, I hate to use that word because it's the word Joe Biden uses for U.S. support for Israel, but truly our faith in this cause is unshakable. And uh, we, we will never give up. We will never give up. And we know that our elders, our parents, uh, grandparents, who lived through the Nakba, who lived through wars, who lived through intifadas, saw things that are just as horrible. We know Israel's history. Uh, we think about all of the, the, the black pages of history written by Israel, and they never lost hope, and they never lost their determination, and we won't either. I just want to make that very clear. And thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. Rafat, thank please, you, uh, I, I mean, you know, I used to tell people in, in when they were reporting from Gaza uh, in, you know, the 20 years that I've been doing this to please stay safe. And I had some sort of confidence that 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 held water. Um, and and I, it's I. I know that nowhere is safe, um, but uh, please don't take any unnecessary risks. Um, we're with you. No promises, but I'll do my best. <laughs> okay. But again, this is what uh, my friend Ahmed posted on, on Twitter. Everything we, de we do, we have in mind that this is going to be our last. It's unbearable. So hopefully we'll meet, inshallah. Yeah. Uh, but if we Inshallah. don't, we've done our best. Thank you very much. We love you, Rifat. Thank you. Thank you, Rifat. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, as we catch our breath, <clears throat> we um, that was uh, that was Rifat Alarir. He's a writer, contributor to the Electronic Intifada. He's an academic whose uh, university was bombed by Israel a few days ago. Um, classrooms, books, eviscerated, eliminated by Israeli bombs, U.S.-supplied Israeli bombs. 
Uh, we're going to bring in our good friend, John Elmer, longtime journalist, has covered the wars inside Gaza and the West Bank, um, and uh, is my co-host over at The Brief Podcast. Uh, John, thank you so much again for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. I've been listening to that the whole time, Rafat and, and Halil. That's um, tough to follow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we do want to have, you know, the the kind of analysis that that you are known for, um, for, you know, the, the next uh, 20, 30 minutes, maybe just to talk about the the military aspect of, I mean, it's, it, yeah, again, I'm like, I'm kind of, it's hard to get the lump out of my throat, um, but I'll try. Uh, we want, yeah, thanks. Um, we want to talk about uh, what has unfolded on the ground over the last week. Where, what, what does it mean when Israel uh, is telling people half of Gaza, 1.1 million people, to evacuate from the north to the south as though there are safe places anywhere. Of course, in the north of Gaza is where Al-Shifa Hospital is. It's the largest medical facility in all of Gaza. Um, what, is, what, is it, what are you looking at carefully right now? I mean, that's just a ludicrous, like people said, a ludicrous order that is um, completely separate from any basic understanding of the Gaza Strip. The number of people, the dense, the density, um, the, the danger of of moving under bombardment. Um, I think people are concerned, um, you know, as Halil and Rafat said, that that it's propaganda, that it's making people uh, exposing military uh, movements, trying to get um, Israelis, trying to get intelligence that they clearly don't have um, by forcing movements, by getting people to break their their patterns to, to try to understand what's going on. Um, I, I think Israel has gotten itself into this point where it seems as though there's no way there's not going to be a ground invasion and Palestinians are ready for that ground invasion and have been ready for years and years for that. Um, I think that, uh, as Ali said earlier in the show with Salah Aruri's uh, explanation uh, of what happened um, on, on Saturday, the listening to Israeli commentators, nothing like that has happened to Israel in 50 years. They're trying to find examples of parallels to that. Um, you know, Qassam brigades fired more rockets in the first two hours of that operation than Hezbollah fired in the entire July war. Uh, more, more Israelis died uh, in, in that 36 hours than died in the Intifada. It was a, a, a strategic... The, the barbarity, calling it barbaric, um, the, the Holocaust, all of this talk um, is to divert attention from the devastating strategic failure um, and success of the Palestinian resistance in this case. And yeah. so many years we talked about how, um, you know, how strong Hezbollah was and how that was the model. And then um, over these years, we've seen the capacity of the Qassam brigades um, put Israel in a place that I think even Hezbollah must have been surprised by. 
um, to completely collapse the Southern Command, the Gaza Command, um, to have captured all of the commanders in the first moments of the attack. Um, their, their commanders were in custody of the Qassam Brigades before Netanyahu knew that anything was happening, before he'd even gone, moved to the defense ministry um, to, to, to oversee the massacres. Um, it, it, the, the, and, and, and just to step back to the, the, the population, the, the reaction from the civilians in Gaza, um, is honestly, is the thing that brought me to this work, I, or, or at least didn't let me leave the work, the way that, um, the, the courage that they have on the ground to, to open up your computer and see that they're having demonstrations in Gaza. They're protesting in bigger numbers because they're saying we're not going anywhere. They're standing out in the street in the hundreds, kids standing out in the street saying we're not going anywhere. We'll not, uh, we'll not leave our house. This idea that, uh, you know, that Israel can move the Gaza Strip to the Sinai, which is the long Zionist dream. Um, that's not going to happen because of the civilian population. Um, it's not a, a separate thing from the from the resistance. the The civilian population is supporting. Um, you know, like you know, Rafat and Halil said, they didn't want to get into political issues. You can separate the Qassam Brigades from Hamas as a political party. The Qassam Brigades as a resistance movement are deeply, deeply popular, almost uniformly popular across the Gaza Strip. And what is about to unfold is a, a humanitarian catastrophe, but it's also a strategic catastrophe for Israel that I I believe has the position, has the possibility, um, you know, as the Israelis have said, to change strategically the conflict for the next um you know to, to have altered the conflict um and we're seeing just well we've been on the air um in lebanon fighting has increased in lebanon and israel just killed journalists on a live uh, camera shot the number of journalists killed in gaza um in the last week um it's now ten, and, it's now over 10 at least 10 in gaza yeah it, the the level of uh of courage in the face of that is is um it's, it's amazing and it, i feel like we needed and we needed to talk to rafat and halil and just um to to just be reminded that that uh, how unfazed, you know, nobody's, nobody's panicking and, and, and just the, the dignified, um, yeah, I don't want to say steadfast because it's a, it's a bit of a cliche, but the steadfastness of people just yeah. refusing to be subjugated under any circumstances, including the most brutal circumstances they've lived in their whole lives. And when they're saying that, um, you know, I lived in Gaza over a number of years during the Intifada and afterwards. And when they're saying this is worse than than ever, they're they're saying that based on 
like 15, you know, operations of like isolated operations um, that each time they said were the worst. Um, and so I think that, um, yeah, it's, it, yeah. it is hard to do analysis, especially after um, that, that human toll, but uh, that the human toll was explained to us like that in that uh, honest um, and articulate way by Halil and, and Rafat. Um, I, I, I do, I do see, um, hope in the, in the catastrophe. I, yeah. I do see uh, a Palestinian national movement that's stronger today than when I, uh, first encountered it as a teenager, <laughs> you know, and, um, um, I, yeah, I'm yeah. not sure what, yeah, yeah, yeah. nobody is, go ahead, go ahead, <laughs> I, I just wanted to say uh, nobody is saying uh, we give up. Nobody yeah. is saying that it hasn't happened. It won't happen. And uh, one of the in, in one of the uh, our colleague Maureen Murphy uh, in the brilliant roundup she put together last night uh, of all the latest events. Uh, there is a video of a man from Gaza who lost his entire family and. Uh, it's hard to watch, but his message is very clear. He says, we will never give up. And uh, that's... I can play know, that clip, actually. I, yeah. I think it's worth playing. But it it, is. That, that's what gives yeah. us, I think, the sense that uh, we cannot be less than uh, the people who are under this horrifying situation that words fail us to, to comprehend. Yeah. Yeah, let's play that clip. شو اللي صار؟ شو اللي صار معكم؟ ولا حاجة قاعدين آمنين في البيت ولا في عنا أي مشكلة. نزلت البيوت علينا. البيت أنا عندي حوالي 200 نفر. والله ما بعرف مين بالطيب. يعني أنا مستغرب أنا كيف طلعت عايش. للأماني. أنا مستغرب كيف طلعت عايش. لكن انا طلعت عايش عشان اوصل الرسالة للعدو ولأمريكا ولأوروبا ولكل دول العالم بأن الشعب الفلسطيني لن يقهر وسينتصر عاجلا أم آجلا وهذه المعركة هي معركة الانتصار ومعركة معركة القدس مهما طال الزمن أو قصر انتهى الموضوع لا في مجال ما حدش يحكي عن هدنة ولا حد يحكي عن سلام ولا حد يحكي عن أي حاجة احنا اليوم من دافع عن شرف الأم العربية والإسلامية والله لو أمعنوا فينا بالقتل والله لن نستسلم والله لن نستسلم والله لن نستسلم شو المشهد شو المشهد في مخيم الشاطئ المشهد مروع مروع جثث جثث أشلاء بيوت بتنزل على على ساكنيها هم بفكروا بدنا نتهجر بفكروا إنه بدنا نروح على مصر والله هيهاد هم بيعرفوش طبيعة طبيعة الفلسطيني إحنا هاليوم مات أولادي ومات أخواتي أنا هيني مزروع في البيت وبدي أروح أرفع الركام وأنام في البيت وإذا كان راجل نتنياهو يضرب كمان مرة وين نروح؟ هو هبيلي لا المرة هذه فيش يروح مصر المرة هذه علينا على أرضنا على فلسطين على القدس والله 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 مهما أمعنوا فينا بالقتل قتلوا الأطفال قتلوا النساء لن نستسلم ولن نرحل من هذه الأرض
I mean, what can you say to that? I mean, he, he's just been narrowly survived the bombing of his entire apartment block and he's called for Netanyahu to bomb him again if he's a man. You know, we will not leave. They do not know the nature of a Palestinian. Says it all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the Zionist project drastically underestimated the resilience and the stubbornness of Palestinians for the last 75 um, years. <laughs> Absolutely. John, I've got a question for you to maybe uh, bring us back a little bit more to your uh, usual uh, analyst mode. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, we've seen, you know, I, as we said earlier in the stream, I think it, there's been so many killings in the West Bank recently uh, in the last few days. It would normally be a major story in itself, but it's being almost completely ignored by the Western media. Um, and uh, we've seen today, um, actually it was yesterday, um, the Israel's interior minister, Tamar Ben-Gavir, you know, infamously uh, Kahanist, you know, this uh, extremist member of the Israeli cabinet, um, preparing to distribute up to 20,000 uh, rifles and small arms to settlements in the West Bank. Um could you talk about that and the, you know, your assessment of the current state of the armed resistance in the West Bank? I mean, I think that there's a lot of the sort of calling up reserves um, and handing out guns. That's part of the national uh, project for the Israelis. It's part of the, um, you know, bringing uh, people together in the way that they see that. I, I think that um, the settlers are already heavily armed right um their their settlements are are uh heavily guarded um i'm not sure i i mean if israel's in a point where handing out twenty thousand small arms is is so is so crucial um i think it shows a failure of the military that has been on display for um I, for the last week i mean the the settlements uh, the, the West Bank settlements are military positions. The settlements in Gaza were military positions. They were built uh, for military uh, purposes to divide the territory, to have forward operating bases, to have um, you know a beachhead in each individual area, and then you connect these. You, you set it out, and then you connect them, and that's how the Zionist project. Um, has worked and so um and the settlers have worked hand in hand with the idf through this whole process because the settlers get to claim sort of the army gets to claim this sort of arm's length thing like we didn't do it we just armed them we just uh held the palestinians back while the settlers attack um but but what it shows i think to me is that this vaunted Israeli military that we heard about for our whole lives and we've watched the Americans pour billions of dollars into um, into their, you know, to build their own weapons industry um, with American money. Um, the the fact that they're so quick to to make it seem as though they're handing out guns to individuals to protect themselves because the army just clearly cannot. Um, the, the, the fact that the West Bank, uh, 
it's hard to even keep the numbers straight because it's happening all the time. But the numbers killed in the West Bank in the last week were were in the 30s, right? There's something it's now that about it was 39 this morning. It may well have gone up by now. Yeah. And that hasn't made the news at all. The fact that that's happening. There's clashes on the border with Lebanon. The concentration of Israeli forces on a ground invasion in Gaza, there's still so much of Israel to, to there's still so much resistance around um, in the north, um, it, it, you know, from Lebanon, in the West Bank, the resistance movements that we've covered on the show um, are significant. And they're not fully participating in something that feels as though um, Israel is courting that, um, which I think could, it doesn't seem to me in my assessment that this is a beneficial thing for Israel, that they come out ahead in a ground operation in Gaza against the Qassam brigades who have been dug in for, you know, 15 years preparing for this. Hezbollah has been in the north since, you know, before 2000, um, but at least since 2006 preparing for the next war. Um, and John, uh, I, if they are saying to people, evacuate, you know, a million plus people from the north of Gaza, including the whole of Gaza City, the most densely populated part of uh, Gaza, um, what, what's their conception? They, they, they don't intend to go in and do street to street, house to house fighting. They, they, uh, may think that they're just going to go in and, and level it all. Is that what you're seeing? What, what What's your sense of the strategy that they have, if at all they have one? Or is we know that most of what we're seeing is just pure bloodlust and vengeance, but to the extent that they have a discern, discernible military strategy or a strategy to try to foil any... Uh, preparations the resistance have made. What do you see? What what do they have? Uh, it's not clear to see. I mean, you're you're talking about one week removed from the collapse of their southern command, and then they're going to within a week prepare uh, for a ground invasion um, on piles of rubble. They've destroyed so much. They have to move through. You talk about going street to street. I mean, the streets don't even exist anymore. But they're piles of rubble with a tunnel network all underneath them. So when they're saying these open things like we're going to destroy Hamas, like the international community uh, destroyed ISIS or whatever, it, it's not a comparable. It's not the same thing. It's not possible to do, for one, um, for all of the human elements that we've been talking about for the last you know, hour and 15 minutes, it's not possible to do that. You can't um, destroy Hamas. Um, you, you can't destroy a, a political movement, a, a guerrilla movement. I mean, you're getting more and more people signing up for these movements that they're claiming to destroy. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't have a, a good answer for what, for what this looks like for Israel. I, I feel as though... Um, just entering the Gaza Strip is going to put their soldiers at um, very, very significant risk of massive casualties in a conscription, you know, conscription army, conscripted army that just watched 
the like how incapable this um, Gaza fortress that they had built um, for all these years, just for billions and billions of dollars building above and below ground walls, um, you know, only to be destroyed within 30 minutes. And then you're relying on conscripted soldiers who are reservists. They're talking about these reservists that are coming from being school teachers. These are not frontline combat troops. These are not John, the troops that they're sending into Gaza. John, talk about talk a little bit more, if you can, about the structure of the Israeli army, because we hear about all these reservists coming up, but they do have a standing army. They do have military, professional military units. Tell us about you know what what the the capabilities of those are how big are they what what are they trained to do uh surely yeah. they've got some units that are capable of fighting oh they do absolutely and they have units that have been training for this operation for um you know for at least for a decade so um I mean, they have 150,000 standing um, force. So when you talk about calling up 300,000 reserves, you're talking about, um, you know, double the the standing army. Um, I think both of the, the early fight is going to be uh, special forces on both sides. Um, I think that the, the bombing is um, likely um, to make it easier on the soldiers um, to see that they've cleared out that area. Um, the moving of the civilians is, as was said on the show, right? The moving of the civilians is a pretext for Israel to say we did everything that we could. Um, you know, you had uh, Israeli ministers yesterday talking about Dresden, right? In World War II, where they firebombed the place and um, if you're talking about just destroying Gaza, I do believe that Israel has the capacity to do that. Um, but the ability to go in and occupy the territory on, on top of the tunnel network, on top of the, um, you know, uh, Abu Obeda said that there was three, uh, that there was 4,500 uh, troops involved in support and directly involved in in that operation that just gives you a clue at how many troops they have at their like their command um that that's just um the Kassam brigades there's also other factions the amount of um military force that it would take to uh, to destroy competent guerrillas fighting in a tunnel network. It's just not clear to me that that's possible. I don't believe it's possible. Um, and, and I, I think and John, that they're about to get and, and hit hard. Made, and they made a lot of uh, noise over the past few years about how they were inventing uh, tunnel detection technologies. And I think the United States put a lot of money into that with them. Talk about... Uh, can Israel detect tunnels? Can it map out this tunnel network? What, what what could Israel know? No, they can't. They can't tunnel. They can't get proper. Um, they can't get proper technology to penetrate the ground. 
um, to see the depth uh, of the tunnels. They really are completely blind. And since they've been outside and clearly have the, they don't even have the human intelligence to see a year and a half planned attack involving 4,500 people that completely uh, collapses the Southern command. They don't have the nitty gritty that's necessary to understand uh, where the tunnels come up um, and to understand even how much capacity is um, able to be underground. The military, the bombing is attacking civilians. Um, the, the, the resistance has moved underground many years ago. And so um, I think that the, um, the ability for them to withstand the attack um, and to continue fighting um, is, is immense. And, and anything that Israel's saying about I don't. I haven't even really heard them say anything about tunnels in quite a long time because the last war really showed them that there wasn't going to be ground wars where you attack the tunnels because when they come in to deal with a tunnel, uh, there's a tunnel that comes up behind them and they have a rear flank um, that they're fighting. Um, people are coming up in in the buildings um, that they're in and fighting. Um, which incidentally is also what happened when the Southern Command collapsed. They built this wall and surveillance network uh, around the Gaza Strip with an, um, an automatic machine gun that's manned by somebody in a situation room in Riem at the main Southern Command base. Uh, the Qassam Brigades disabled uh, the gun and then quite literally went on to the base and fought in the control room of the person who fires that gun that the depth of the the collapse of the israeli system of um what would you call it technological superiority this startup nation thing that we you know where they mixed military money with uh technology um that they 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 created this thing that costs you know billions and billions of dollars that collapsed in minutes. Um, they didn't have the human intelligence. They didn't have the signals intelligence. They didn't know what was going on at, at that moment. How, how is that going to be different when they're fighting under this like densely populated rubble in the Gaza Strip? I, I, the, the ground war is, um, it's, it's going to be awful for people living there. Um, but it's going to be awful for the Israelis. They're, they stand, um, I think, to take a big hit. Well, we're going to wrap it up uh, in just a minute. But, um, John, I just wanted to, to see what you are looking at closely um, as we head into the weekend. Um, what, uh, what should people be aware of, be skeptical of? Uh, what are you watching? Um. I mean, it's it, it seems imminent at this point. It seems like the Israelis are saying that um, the ground invasion um, is, is coming. You know, Israel has this this again, this reserve base that Israel relies upon um, is, you know, halting their economy. Um, they can't do that indefinitely. Um, their airports are closed. Their um, you know, there being um, the economic war uh, 
when you call up that many people from your society, it's just, they, they don't have the ability to withstand the fighting. Um, they don't have the, I, I mean, what we saw just in chatting today with our friends in Gaza, like that kind of resolve, um, I, I'm looking at, at that and, and wondering how, uh, yeah, wondering how Israel is going to handle that because it doesn't look promising. And then you, for Israel, and then you have uh, Hezbollah in the north with the possibility of just expanding the war, like Asa said in the West Bank, the possibility of, 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 of an intifada in the West Bank. Um, the, these all feel like very real possibilities right now and in a way that um, I think we're all trying to digest something um, that is of a scale larger than anything that we've seen. And I think that's important to keep in mind because it's hard once we go off the air and everybody's relying on crappy media, that's, that's almost worse than not listening to anything. So. Yeah. Well, 100%. thank you. Yeah. Um, could I, I just very briefly um, mention there was uh, Seymour Hirsch has put out an article um, which I think I can probably get up on the screen, um, which kind of confirms some of what, what you were saying there, John, where he um, he 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 talks to an Israeli, well, it's, it sounds like it's a, a retired Israeli spy who he used as a source for his famous book in the early 90s, The Samson Option, about Israel's nuclear weapon arsenal. And according to this um, it, former Israeli spy, um, he says, quote, the reality is that the ground forces are not trained for combat. Um, there's confidence in the spirit of the troops, but not in their abilities to succeed in the ground assault in, in Gaza Strip. And that reservists, the 300,000 reserves they're calling up, are undergoing crash training. So, you know, it speaks to this, the, just the simple fact that the Israeli occupation decades their primary task has essentially been to bully civilians and not to actually carry out any kind of um you know military operation against trained and determined uh guerrilla fighters yeah and they've attempted to mirror the trained guerrilla fighters i mean they set up units after um they got smoked by hezbollah in 2006 they tried to set up similar units smaller units that had the ability um, to operate somewhat independently when their command and control breaks down um, which is what happened uh, on saturday they the israelis had no concept of the of the scale of the attack that what was happening um, because they had relied on these tools um, rather than their own personal acumen or military acumen or, um, yeah, and, and then just abandoned those communities in the South. And all, all of Israel watched that. Um, the credibility of the Israeli army as a partner, you know, in this kind of uh, global empire, which was their, you know, the villa in the jungle idea of the forward operating base that Israel is, has been compromised. There's deep strategic, uh, um, the strategic failures um, and strategic successes by the Palestinians that will reverberate, I think, for generations. 
that to study the attack of the ghettoized population breaking out of the ghetto is something that the entire world, you know, we get crappy news here in the, the West, um, but a lot of people that live in ghettos are looking at that kind of situation. Um, the, just the visual liberation of that um, space that Israel had convinced everybody was, was impregnable and that their startup nation you know, ha had made them this military power in the world. And, and all that, of a sudden. It's so, and and I'm, I'm just thinking as I'm listening to you, John, that that in a sense explains, I mean, you'd think, okay, well, we can understand. I mean, of course, we can't accept or justify, but we can understand in a sense why the Israelis are having this, uh, you know, uh, crisis of uh, panic and rage and vengeance because it was so unexpected for them and so overwhelming. But w we might think, well, why would the United States and Europe go along with this uh, level of revenge and destruction? And I, and I think in a sense, it's that bec it's because Israel is a bulwark of their empire. And if Israel goes, then anything can go because you know they have all of these client regimes all over the region uh and israel is in a sense the jewel in the crown in the region of the american empire so the the vengeance that israel is meeting out against uh, the palestinian people is not just israel's vengeance alone it's america's vengeance it's germany's vengeance it's france's vengeance it's britain's vengeance for challenging their dying empire and they are lashing out like a wounded animal uh, th that i think is is what we're seeing because remember in 2006 john you of course have have uh, know know a lot more about this when hezbollah humiliated and defeated the israeli army at that time uh, and Seymour Hersh, uh, Asa, you, you, who you just uh, uh, mentioned, but at the time of 2006, Seymour Hersh had uh, written a, a, a very important article explaining that the Americans saw the uh, Israeli attack on Hezbollah as a model for how the United States was going to go after Iran. And Israel yeah, was going to destroy Hezbollah and that would send a message across the region, and then the Americans would be able to do the same elsewhere. And that, and and uh, you know, with a lot of hubris, uh, Condoleezza Rice, the Secretary of State, called it the birth pangs of a new Middle East—a very horrifying kind of terminology. But that's the confidence they had in Israel to show that, yeah, we can take on forces like Hezbollah and defeat them. The opposite happened, of course, but I really think that's what part of it here is they need to send a message that if you come after Israel, you're coming after Washington and we will we will destroy you because it really shows how how fragile their empire is. You know, all this string of Israel of, of American military bases along the Persian Gulf are extremely vulnerable. And that's a factor when you have the Houthi movement in Yemen, who were able to strike a devastating blow a couple of years ago 
at the Saudi uh, oil infrastructure, uh, when the Houthis say, we will respond to Israel's attacks on Gaza, I think that, uh, that, that that, in a sense, provides an explanation of why America and Joe Biden are so determined to, to support Israel in this horrifying genocide. And didn't the mask just fall off so quickly? Uh, it was uh, all of a sudden the Israel was this weak army that couldn't do anything and um, Hamas were terrible to civilians and there was nothing anyone could do to defend themselves after, after 70 years of propaganda in the opposite way. And then all of a sudden we find out that actually all their soldiers are from other countries and they're they're saying oh you have 29 americans right. 17 british and and all of a sudden all and th this was a point that uh, hamas's deputy military leader also mentioned in his speech as well yeah yeah i mean it's impossible to miss right like on haaretz they they put the they put the foreign soldiers in their own category like as a separate category outside of the after all these years of telling or trying to tell us that they're indigenous and that they're you know and, and even the stories of who was in those settlements right like we get the idea that it's all like holocaust survivors who are out there tilling the fields Haaretz uh washington correspondent wrote a piece in Haaretz saying that they moved there him and his family moved there his after the 2014 war because it was a bit of adventure um, they were subsidized and they wanted to live the dream, right? So they're, they're, they're saying these, um, yeah, you know, these truths, <laughs> I guess you could yeah. say these truths, that they're a foreign army, that they're, uh, that Israelis hold dual passports, that air Israelis immediately ask for airlifts from Canada out of Tel Aviv. The, just the pathetic nature of that, I don't know what other word to use that Palestinians in Gaza aren't asking for airlifts out of the Gaza Strip, even just uh, rhetorically. <laughs> but Canada's flying warplanes over to to bring people who were two weeks ago were Israelis. And now all of a sudden they're Canadians. Oh, they're Canadians. They were just going to Israel for their wedding, but they're actually Canadians. But everybody here, they're telling they're Israelis. So it really, I think one of the surprising things and one of the things that I was watching with surprise, even cynical us, I couldn't believe how fast they went to worst days since the Holocaust. We can't defend our people. Um, even the, the you know, beheaded babies and, and these lies that presume that you have unlimited amount of time to carry out atrocities. Well, yeah. where was the army for all of these hours? You know, the army abandoned these people. Are they going to move back into those settlements after they were abandoned by the army? The position that Israel's put itself in doesn't, I don't see their position improving um, by the hysterics and and by, you know, coming out and, and telling the opposite of what they've been telling us for all these years. Um, I just think that's telling. In Canada, I, I get the Canadian news that they find every, any Israeli that they can find to talk to. And they're panicked. They're second guessing their decisions. They're saying we shouldn't, uh, I, we shouldn't have had our wedding here, you know, and then, and then Rafat and, and Halil come on. And, and it's just, it's just like, it, it's such a different world. And, and the ability to, uh, I mean, 
yeah, just to, to witness the Palestinians handle this situation just doesn't seem like the war escalating um, helps Israel. I don't I don't see that. I think that a ground war is going to be devastating to them. And you can only imagine that the Qassam Brigades knew that this was part of their operation, that I think, I imagine that they expected the war to start on Saturday. They didn't expect the entire Southern Command to collapse. They didn't expect that there wouldn't be that wouldn't be warplanes in the air, helicopter gunships, air cover, armored support that 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 wouldn't happen for 12 hours for 24 hours and then tuesday night we're hearing that they still control these communities and then israel evacuates these communities i mean how much longer before they're going to evacuate the communities in the north things with hezbollah are ratcheting up um it it becomes it, it becomes a little you know, like a little bit of the spider web, like Nasrallah said, like it, it, it does look really thin once you get up close to it and you watch it happening. And uh, you know, it's not a bad time to make predictions, of course, because yeah. things can happen so fast. But I, I don't see Israel's strategic position um, as anything but set back decades by this. John Elmer, you're our good friend, yeah. writer, researcher, contributor, um, and uh, we always appreciate your very grounded, very extensive and, and thoughtful yeah. analysis. Um, thank you so much. And uh, we, I, I did want to just kind of wrap up and say that, that just express our gratitude, of course, to our guests, to our friends, to our colleagues. Um, to Tamara behind the, behind the scenes, um, and also to our viewers. There have been uh, a remarkable amount of comments. We can't, of course, address or, or you know get to them all, but um, Asa, if you wanted to put up a few of the, the best of the best, um, I think that would be really yeah, good. Yeah, we've had some nice comments tonight. Um, Delia McGrath says, this conversation has both pierced my heart and even more deep and enlighten me about the horrors. I wish that this could be shared widely throughout the US so that people wake up and stop killing. Yeah. So do we. Thank you. Um, there's been lots of support for Rifat and Khalil. Thank you, Rifat, Ali, Khalil, Nora, Asa, and John. Thank you, Kea. Um, Sam Bass says, thank you again for your precious time and valuable, knowledgeable input on the right side of history. Free Palestine, inshallah. Inshallah. Thank you, Sam. Um, Trade Alpha says, can you please have these EI live chats regularly? Keeps me sane in this crazy world to hear intelligent humans discuss what is going on. Thanks. Thank you, Trade Alpha. Yeah, we we're going to try and do these for as long as possible. Um, yeah. Stay and tuned. You know, and, and you know what? It keeps us sane too. It because does. Yeah. Because <laughs> as, as you can see, uh, we're, we're needing to be reassured by uh, Rifat in Gaza, of all people. So, I mean, the, the truth is, this is, you know, we can't compare our situation to that of people in Gaza, but the truth is, this is hard for all of us. There are moments of elation and there are moments of, of uh, where we really feel, it, feel deeply the pain of seeing so much horror and suffering. And so the, the fact that we come together like this and with so many supporters and readers and listeners, uh, it keeps us sane too. It really does. So thank you so much for for uh, 
for joining us. Fine. The last comment I wanted to read was, of course, we need to donate dollar dollar to the Electronic Intifada. Absolutely, <laughs> Majesty. Thank you very much. If you, for all our uh, viewers and listeners tonight, if you want to keep up with our daily written updates and all our updates, go to electronicintifada.net and click on the top left, and you can sign up to our mailing list, and you can go to the same address. Uh, www.electronicintifada.net and click donate now on the top right. Thank you, everybody. Um, and uh, once again, we appreciate you. We're, we're grateful for, for all the support. And we'll be back soon. We'll, yeah. we'll do another live stream soon. I'll say also when you sign up for the uh, mailing list, uh, for the email list, you'll not only get our daily newsletter with all our headlines but we will send out an email letting you know when a live stream is coming up so that, that you won't miss it that's great thanks ali all right everybody um thank you again and we will see you next time take care thank you